Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. The world will never be saved by a church that looks just like the world, acts just like the world, and talks just like the world. It's going to be saved by a church that has heard from God Almighty. That's what it needs. And I believe that there's a lot of folks out there, their hearts are just barely pounding. Amen. They're drawing their last spiritual breath, but somewhere inside their veins, amen, there is a blood that is crying out. It's not too late. Get yourself ready. I'm coming back for a people that are watching and waiting. Listen to the blood that flows into your veins. Amen. Listen to the blood. on our doors and all those types of things. We try to be secure, but there's no security like the security of knowing that we're right with God. Amen. We're right with Him. Very quickly, if you'd turn with me today, Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, looking forward to what the, the uh, day is going to hold today. Uh, Brother Sister Jones will be with us uh, in the second service. They may sneak in a little earlier than that. I'm just looking forward to the ministry of, that they will bring their friendship. And I'm just glad that this church is going to get to know them a little bit. Such wonderful people. Exodus chapter 2 verse 1. Um, before I read that, you've got to understand that Israel or the Hebrews have been in bondage for nearly 400 years at this point. They're approaching the 400 year mark. Um, and... Uh, Joseph, you know, had made things a little bit easier for the Hebrews. Um, He had a a position, uh, and he had a king that favored him, that trusted him, and uh, he had value. But Joseph is now dead, and the king that favored Joseph and his people is now dead, and there's a new king. And this king is not showing the Hebrews favor. as a matter of fact, he's, he's watched as the Hebrew children are being born left and right, and he's seeing them multiply, and he, he's becoming quite worried about perhaps them becoming so vast in numbers that, that they could possibly create an uprising. And so he makes a decree that all the male children be thrown into the river and drowned. And it's at this stage of the Hebrews' existence that probably things have never been worse things have never been worse for them and so this takes us right up to the beginning of the story of Moses Exodus chapter 2 verse 1 says and there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi and the woman conceived and bare a son and when she saw him that he was a goodly child she hid him three months and when she could no longer hide him she took him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river river's brink down the the brush along the riverside some places she kind of stash him down in the water but he wouldn't just float on down the river it was a way of keeping him from drifting but something happened she set Moses' older sister 
to stand off at a distance to watch over him, the Bible says. And while she was watching, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. I can imagine at this point that the older sister's heart is about to beat out of her chest. Mama has put me in charge of watching my baby brother because we all know what's going to happen if the Egyptians get a hold of him. And all of a sudden she finds the Egyptian pharaoh's daughter discovering her baby brother in the bulrushes. But something happened there. The Bible says that when she opened it up and she saw the child and behold the babe wept that the daughter of Pharaoh had compassion on him and said this is one of the Hebrews children she identified him for what he was she didn't there was no question in her mind if he was maybe an Egyptian child she recognized him as being a Hebrew child I want to preach to you or speak to you teach whatever this morning on this subject the blood in my veins the blood in my veins you may be seated today thank you for standing so long the biblical account of Moses has always um, fascinated me for several reasons and um, I, I began to think about how God put his hand of protection on this child in so many different ways throughout his life in order for God to use him in the way uh, that he desired to use him. Um, Can you imagine uh, moms and even dads? I I don't think there's a dad in this place that would be comfortable with the idea of taking your child and putting it in a little handmade ark, a little basket, a flotation device, and setting it down in the weeds alongside the river. Uh, I quickly go back to a little incident that happened this last summer when Christian and I uh, and uh, my wife and and Morgan went uh, to one of the local uh, bodies of water uh, here in the local area that I had not been to in quite a while. And we decided we were going to, you know, fish there for a little while. And our wife stayed up by the dock and Christian and I waded down through the weeds along the edge of the water. Uh, till we got to some spots that had some some overhanging brush and some some trees that were in the water, places that you know, as guys that know a little bit about fishing, you know, you look at it and you say this could possibly be a spot that we could catch some fish because you know, I mean, fishing is relaxing, but I do like to catch something when I'm out there. You know, that makes it a little more fun when you're catching something. And so we walked through the brush and we got down around the water's edge and. It wasn't very long before one of us spotted a water moccasin making its way up towards us. And I thought, well, it'll spot us eventually. You know, we're over here, we're moving around, and it'll go ahead and and move off. But that wasn't to be the case. That water moccasin got up uh, about 20 foot from us and stopped what it was at and and, and got into a staring contest with the two of us. I I sat there and I I, kind of casted my... uh, 
my line over towards it, thinking I, I didn't want to catch it. You know, there's certain things that you don't want to reel in on your, on your hook. And a venomous snake is one of those things. And, and I wasn't looking to catch it. I was trying to scare it off. And it would, it would bob under the water for just a little uh, while. And then it would pop its head back up. And, and I didn't know which I, I, I liked worse. I didn't know whether I, I didn't like the fact of not knowing where it had gone or the fact that I could see it staring at me. You know, this snake just kept popping its head up and then a second, a third, a fourth. And before it was over with, we must have had seven or eight snakes that were all around us just staring at us like we're the main course for their supper table. So about 15 minutes go by and I can't take it anymore. I'm like, it is not worth it to me because I'm doing more looking around my feet then I am looking out at the water. I'm casting a few times. I'm wanting to catch something, but, but nothing's happening. I, I finally looked at Christian. I said, you know what? I'm out of here. And, and I, I began to walk, make my way back up to safer grounds. And I thought, I, I don't want to be around this. And, and so with that thought in mind, I began to think about what it must have taken for this, this, uh, this woman to take her child and put it down in, into the bulrushes. Now, I know water moccasins are dangerous and none of us like to deal with that, but this is the Nile that we're talking about they have alligators in the Nile we don't have alligators uh, in our local uh, bodies of water around these parts and that's one reason why I may never move to Florida when I get old enough to want to be in the warm sun somewhere I just don't know that I want to step out my front door and have to watch that I don't step on an alligator someplace alligators are in these waters and then they, if that's not bad enough, they have something called, let me see what it's called. It's got something called the African tiger fish. Okay, somebody knows what the African tiger fish is. It's been dubbed the piranha of Africa. They're pretty vicious. And guess what they will attack and eat sometimes? Crocodiles. So at... If crocodiles aren't bad enough, now you've got this, this mass of fish that will eat crocodiles. And you've got this child that is laying in the bulrushes. And you've got your, your, your daughter down there from a distance keeping an eye on him. But there was a reason for this. And that is because there was even a greater danger than the crocodiles and the African piranha, the, 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 the flesh-eating fish that were out there. God had a plan for this young baby's life. Moses was soon discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And unknowingly, this is how God works sometimes. Yes. Unknowingly to her, she asks and hires Moses' own mother to watch over him and care for him and protect him and nurse him. Don't tell me that God didn't have a plan. You see, Pharaoh's daughter knew that this baby was a Hebrew child. She knew that he had Hebrew blood flowing through his veins. But in her mind, he was not to remain a Hebrew. He was going to be raised as an Egyptian. And Moses' life at a very young age goes from being threatened. It goes from a life of slavery to the life of luxury to a life of the, in the palace to a life of the finer things of life. Moses goes from a slave to becoming a young man of privilege and power. 
when he's in the palace, he's trained. He's brought up by the finest. He's fed the, the finest that they have. He's clothed in the finest clothes. You know, he's not just any child. He is a child of royalty. But when he's with his mother, she sings him the songs of Zion. She tells him, don't you forget where you came from, boy. They may clothe you in their royal garments. They may teach you to talk a different way. But don't you forget your roots. Don't you forget whose blood it is that's flowing through your veins. They might decorate you up. They might try to make something out of you. But they'll never be able to change the blood that is in your veins. It's always going to be Hebrew blood. The Egyptians could give him things that the Hebrews couldn't. He wears their clothes. He eats their food. But just because you may look like them doesn't change the fact that the blood that is in your veins is Hebrew blood. Chosen blood. You're not like them, Moses. And there will come a day when you will make a choice who you will serve. There always comes a day of choosing. I mean, that's not just Moses' story. That's all of our stories. There always comes a point in time where we get to the place in God where we will choose who we will serve. You know, the word of the Lord tells us that that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Am, Am I correct? And the word of God also tells us that all have sinned. So if all have sinned, all were lost. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is for us to have salvation. God's plan is for us to know him. God's plan is for us to be a chosen generation. God's plan is for you not to be a part of Egypt to be, but to be part of his bride. That's God's plan. But there comes a day of choosing, and that is because that there are always two worlds that pull at us. The world and its allurements and its apparent glitz and glamour and the simple outstretched arms of Jesus Christ are always trying to pull us in two different directions. And as long as we live on this earth, we will always fall under those pulling and those drawing of those two spiritual forces. And yes, the forces of this world are a spiritual thing. Moses has no idea at this point in his life that God's going to make him one of the most historical men of all the ages. At this point, he's just struggling with his own identity. Who am I? I'm hearing two different stories. I like the way it feels to have power. I like the way it feels to put on these nice clothes and these nice garments. I like the food that I'm eating. I like when I walk by that everybody has to stand up straight and pay attention to me. I like all that, that feeling of power and privilege. But there's also another side of me. There's something down in my heart that's still crying out. And I'll tell you what that was. He could not escape the blood of who he was born to be. Moses was still a Hebrew on the inside. And it didn't matter how much the world tried to affect him or what they tried to create him to be. God was still dealing with his innermost being. Something inside of him was calling. There was a part of him that just couldn't get comfortable on the inside. 
Remind you of anybody that you might know that's struggling today? Remind you of somebody that, that maybe once knew the Lord but has walked away. And, but you know when you sit down and talk to him, talk to them, you, you began to, to delve in and they began to open up to you a little bit. It's not all as peachy as what they try to make it seem when they're with their worldly friends. They're trying to outrun the blood. The day comes finally when Moses doesn't realize it, but it's his day to choose. And he's out walking about, and he sees his people, the people of his mother and his father, and they're working as they've always worked, and there's a, there's a taskmaster. There's a slave driver that is out there on that day that begins to beat one of the Hebrew workers. He began to beat it, and Moses stands there and watches it, probably hoping, you know, okay, now you're getting close. Now, that's, that's enough. That's too far, but it just won't stop. It just won't end, and that taskmaster keeps beating it uh, on that Hebrew worker, and, and, and something just snaps inside of him. Something happens that he can no longer ignore, and his Hebrew blood begins to boil, and I believe that every word spoken by his true mother, every Hebrew song that was sung into his little ear as he drifted off to sleep as a child came all of a sudden flooding back into his memory and the next thing he knows he's standing over a dead Egyptian taskmaster and all of a sudden everything over one choice changes. He chooses to side with who he really is. He makes a choice and a decision to listen to the blood flowing through his veins instead of the garments that are wrapped around his body. Well, that created a stir. You see, he was welcomed as long as he didn't rock the Egyptian boat. As long as he did what they told him to do, as long as he talked like an Egyptian and he dressed like an Egyptian and he agreed with the Egyptians, he went on his merry way. But the moment that he stood up for something that was true and that was righteous, the moment that he began to listen to the voice that was crying out to him, when the blood began to speak and he could no longer ignore it, he became an outlaw amongst the very ones that had tried to create him to be worldly, to be an Egyptian, and he very quickly found out that he was on the wrong side of the law as far as the Egyptians were concerned. You ever found this is a story that is very familiar, not only to myself, but to many that are here. You, you, you walk into a church and you don't know much about God, or maybe you've been, maybe you, you have, maybe you have served the Lord, and for whatever reason, maybe you strayed, or maybe you just never got the Holy Ghost, and you've got your friends laid out, and you've become popular, and, and you're, you're accepted. And, and that was my story, you know, my high school years, you know. When I got into to high school, I decided that, that I was, you know, I wasn't trying to seek to be popular, I was seeking to be accepted. 
I wanted them to like me. I wanted them, and so that caused me to, to leave some things behind that were in my life, some things that I knew were, were right, some, some heritage that, that, that had been ingrained in me, some teaching that I had been taught when I was a younger child. And, and so I got that. I got that acceptance. I got that, that uh, ability for them to wrap their arms around me. But there came a day, amen, as a 17-year-old young man when I realized that what I had been seeking after was nothing more than just a fantasy that there was nothing real there it was the life of Peter Pan somebody said the other day in a book I was reading Peter Pan was the the king he was the prince but he was the prince of Neverland and Neverland was a fictitious place it doesn't mean much when you're the king of nothing when you're the king of a facade when you're the king of something that is fake and unreal, it doesn't mean too much. It might make you feel good. You may try to fantasize that you're something, but sooner or later you have to get to the place. And as 17-year-old young man, it finally dawned on me. I was going nowhere, and I was king. I had gotten everything that I wanted or thought that I wanted, but it all wound up being nothing. But the blood that had been applied to me wouldn't leave me alone. It wouldn't stop speaking to me. There was something flowing through my veins. Thank God it wouldn't quit talking to my heart. This world will include you, make you feel like a prince as long as you roll the way that they want you to roll. But you defend truth one time. Two weeks before my senior year, I walked back in. My hair was cut. I, 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 I had laid a bunch of stuff down. And, and uh, I, I went back out to the same group of people that had wrapped their arms around me for, for a few years there. And I quickly found out that I was going to not fit in quite the same way that I, that I had fitted in the previous years. See, something about me had changed. Something about me was different. Something about me was no longer the same that it used to be. I fit in as long as I was like them, as long as I talked like them, as long as I dressed like them, as long as I acted like them. But you start standing up for righteousness. You start standing up for truth. You take some standards and put them in place in your life, and you'll find out that this world will toss you out on your ear so fast that you will feel like an outlaw. That's okay. I'd rather be an outlaw for God any day than blend in with a team that is going to lose. The Hebrews didn't need an Egyptian prince. They needed a man who had heard from God. This world that is in bondage will never be delivered by a church with a mindset that if we dress enough like them, if we talk enough like them, if we wear their trinkets, if we walk like an Egyptian, (laughs) some of us got that. If we blend in enough, 
But you know what? That is, that is exactly what the mindset is of our modern day church culture. We've got, to, we've got to have enough shining lights and we've got to have enough screaming guitars to make it sound like they can't tell the difference whether they're at a rock concert or at church. I tell you, the world will never be saved by a church that looks just like the world, acts just like the world, and talks just like the world. It's going to be a, saved by a church that has heard from God Almighty. Mighty. Yeah. That's what it needs. Yeah. It needs somebody that's willing to stand up and be different. It needs somebody with a spirit that says, I don't care what they want, what kind of a uh, spirit they want us to be. I want to serve God and God alone. Yeah. Got to hear from God. And the answer is not in watering down our spiritual heritage to the point of non-existence. The devil is okay if there's a church on every corner and you can call it whatever you want to call it and you can have gatherings of whatever size or material that you want to have as a part of your church service as long as it's more of a social club and as long as people are willing to come in one way and leave the same way. But when you start preaching a doctrine that has power, when you start uh, dressing different, when you start uh, making, uh, start looking like God, following God, and hearing after the voice of God, all of a sudden this world will not accept you anymore. Not everybody's able to grasp that. Not everybody's able to live with that. But that is just the truth of the matter. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2 and 9 who we are. Your chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. You're a peculiar people. That doesn't mean weird. <laughs> I think, you know, there are some folks that think we've got to be, we've got to be weird. The, wor- the world does weird good enough. I mean, look around you. Come on, they've got weird covered. We don't have to be weird, but we are called to be peculiar. He's called us out of this world. He wants something that is different than anything that the world has to offer. And there's the reason that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but thank God now have obtained mercy. Can somebody clap your hands because mercy has been extended to, and grace has been given? We were nothing until Jesus said, by my mercy and my grace, I've made you something. And because of that, I've called you out of this world to be set on a hill. And you cannot be hid. There are hundreds of people that I know that used to serve God. But somewhere along the way, the world picked them up and began to feed them their food and put their clothes and their attire on them. And, but I've got to believe that deep inside them, just as it was inside me, that the blood is still speaking. The blood that is running through their veins, amen, is still speaking and reaching out to them. And the Bible talks about there in the last days being a great revival, amen. A revi- You can only revive something that once was alive and has become dead. And I believe that the 
there's a lot of folks out there, their hearts are just barely pounding. Amen. They're drawing their last spiritual breath, but somewhere inside their veins, amen, there is a blood that is crying out. It's not too late. Get yourself ready. I'm coming back for a people that are watching and waiting. Listen to the blood that flows into your veins. Amen. Listen to the blood. Don't forget who you are. You know what Moses' first response to listening to the blood was? (laughs) He ran. He listens to the blood. He protects one of his own. He destroys an Egyptian taskmaster. He destroys a piece of the world that was in his life and causing his people harm. And the first thing he does is run. He tried to hide. He tried to escape. So many of us know today that when the blood's calling, there's no place you can run that you can, uh, that you can hide from it. There's, you can't get away from that. I'm not the only one that, that fell away for a, time, for a while. In, in this place. You know what I'm talking about. This resonates in your heart. You know, and some of you are now thinking about your child or your spouse or someone in your life, amen, that right now once used to uh, speak in tongues, that once was in church, that once loved God, and you're wondering in your own mind, is there any way that we can still reach them? Is there any hope for them? And I'm here to tell you today that take hope today because the blood that was running through their veins back then is still coursing through their veins. God God's word is not silent. It's not going to leave them. It's not going to forsake them. The values you've instilled in your children when they're young, even if they haven't served God, is still reaching out to them because the blood that is flowing through their veins is still speaking. Come back to me. Come back to me. I love you. I care for you. I died for you. I still want you. God will find you. God will speak to you. And the reason He will is because He has a plan. Greater things than these shall ye do. He's talking to a people. I think He's speaking to us. And if He's got greater things than He says we're, we're going to do them, there's a generation that's going to do them, then I know that God is still going to use people. And it's not just going to be those that are sitting here today. He's going to draw people back in. There is, there is a spirit, amen, that is reaching out to the backslider. There's a spirit that is reaching out to those. The blood is still speaking, amen. It still covers them, amen. The blood is still speaking to their hearts. It's wooing them. It's drawing them. Moses runs away. The next place you find him, he's defending seven women that are trying to water their flock in second chapter of Exodus. The Bible says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flocks. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up. You see, he doesn't have a slave mentality. Moses is used to commanding. 
He's not afraid of these other men. He stands up and he defends these. He sees an injustice taking place. And it's just a natural instinct for him to take authority, to take command. And that's what he does. The Bible says that Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to their father, he said, how is it that you've come so soon today? I think it's interesting here. The Egyptian daughter of Pharaoh looked at Moses when she first discovered him and had no problem identifying him as a Hebrew. But now you've got these people that are looking at Moses and they don't identify him as a Hebrew. They look at him and said, an Egyptian delivered us. An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds and drew enough water that we watered our flocks. See, at this point, he still has the look. He still has the look of an Egyptian, but something has changed down on the inside. Don't disregard what, who God can use just because they're new or just because they walk through the door. Don't disregard that they can't begin to be used by God. They might not have the look down just yet, but just you should give them a little time. There's, there's something that's taken place on the inside of them, amen, that will eventually work towards the outside of them. He still is recognized and identified by outsiders as being an Egyptian, but he knows that something on the inside, he's answered the call of the blood that is running through his veins, and no longer does he identify with the Egyptian anymore. He knows now who he is he's made his choice he realized that blood is thicker than water and just a few short verses later you'll find where Moses has removed his worldly attire his princely robe is gone I don't know if he wore bands around his arm whatever they did all the stuff that identified him as an Egyptian Royalty is now in his past. It's all removed, and you will find him with a different set of clothing, the clothing of a shepherd. I'm wrapping this up today as our music comes. I want you to notice something as I do. It's only when Moses answers the call of the blood in his veins that the change takes place in what he's wearing. He listens to the voice of the Lord. He listens to what he's been taught by the mother whose blood is flowing through his veins about who he is. His identity crisis is now behind him. He's not being torn between two worlds. And the most miserable place that you can find yourself ever in this life is when you're torn between the world and God. You'll never be more miserable. It may seem like freedom. It may seem like power. It may seem like privilege. But in the end, you're just the prince of Neverland. You're the prince of of a place that will one day no longer exist. He answers the call of the blood in his veins. He changes the way he looks. 
He's given up certain things. But he's no longer conflicted about who he is. His identity crisis is gone. He no longer identifies with Egypt. He's now one of God's chosen. And it's at this point that God can now speak to him. To my knowledge, the Lord had never audibly spoken to Moses before. He had spoken through his mother, through his people, through what he'd been taught. It's important what we teach our children. What we teach them in their youth could be the very thing that saves them in their adulthood. That word, train up a child in the way that they should go and when they're old they'll not depart from it, doesn't mean that they'll never step away. It just means that they'll never be able to get away from what you've instilled in them. They cannot escape what you've placed in their veins. The blood that covered them. Can you imagine what this world would be like if every church everywhere quit trying to be accepted by the world? If we quit, and there's, not, there's a lot of things that we do that there's nothing wrong with them. It's, it's part of fellowship. It's part of just, you know, trying to bring new people into the church. Those things are okay, but but what I have issue is, is when we water down doctrine and we water down everything that we have, and by the time we get the world into the church, they can't tell the church from the world. Yeah, I go to a church as long as I can still dress like an Egyptian and fit in, talk like an Egyptian and fit in, act like an Egyptian and fit in. God never came to condemn the world. It's already condemned. We needed a Savior. He came to save the world. He came to save the world from itself. The only thing that can truly save this world is to listen to the blood that was shed to set us free. Would you stand today? He's not called you to fit in. He's not called you to laugh at their filth. He's not called you to act like them, dress like them, talk like them. He's called you out to be a peculiar people. He's chosen you and you're a royal priesthood. Believe you me, when you're a prince in God's kingdom, there's reality in that. More reality than your mind can even imagine. You will be more than a prince of a place that doesn't exist. But we're going to be ruling and reigning with Him. Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind you know how your mind is renewed by the blood
by the blood. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. There was a blood that was shed that courses through your veins and speaks to you and it will lead you into all righteousness. It will lead you into all truth. But your ears must be listening to the blood that's in your veins. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.